Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD. Welcome to this episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Today, my guest is Danielle Matthew, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist with over 20 years experience working with children and adolescents. We're going to talk a good bit about bullying today, how you might be able to identify that your child is being bullied and what you can do about it um, and, and how you can help your child in that too. Danielle founded the Empowerment Space in the Los Angeles area to support bullying victims and their families, aid schools and health and wellness professionals, and educate others about the bullying epidemic. Danielle speaks to parents whose children are victims of bullying, educators who seek to prevent bullying in schools, and other clinicians who want to dialogue about how to support families through a bullying situation. This is such a timely and important topic, Danielle, and I thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Penny, for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. If you want to start out and just tell us a little bit about who you are, why you um, started this foundation and and um, really work in that space of bullying and helping children through that. Yes. Yeah, so I started this. Um, I was bullied as a kid. And many years ago, I had promised myself I was going to, once I was a licensed therapist, use um, my passion and desire to help other families who were bullied. And I for a while got uh, sidetracked and then ended up in a uh, position where I was talking to people across the country um, and they were telling me that they don't have programs out there when kids are at a real crisis point before going into like a a mental hospital that they can actually get help for their kids who are being bullied. And I started seeing that a lot and I was like, I've got to do something about that. So I hired an independent consulting firm here in Long Los Angeles, who actually did a needs assessment in our area and our community of Los Angeles to see how many programs are really out there that aren't prevention-based school programs, but in our actual community that really address bullying with kids at a crisis point, whether it's a program, an evidence-based practice type thing, to really address self-esteem and helping the kids who are victims of bullying. And as a result of that, they came back to me and they said, I have good news for you and I have bad news for you. I said, okay, guys, well, tell me what the good news is. And they said, you don't have competition, but also that might be the bad news because why don't you have competition? What's going on in our community that we don't have more programs to help kids when they're at a crisis point? And again, I'm I'm not talking about the schools. I'm just talking about in our communities particularly. So um, they said, you can go ahead and create a program if you'd like um, and come back to us if you'd like to uh, have it become a nonprofit um, and let us know what you'd like to do. So I spent the next year writing what's now the empowerment space. Um, I also consulted with another therapist on it and a developmental psychologist because I wanted to make it as close to measuring whether it works or not Mm -hmm. uh, using uh, different uh, surveys and ways to say, are we seeing progress? Because it's 10 weeks and it's with kids who are on an individual basis come in who've been current victims of bullying and they're at a real crisis point, but aren't luckily suicidal yet, but very depressed. And um, they work for 10 weeks on coping skills and self-esteem skills. And we work with the parents and I go in and do meetings with the school. And we really encourage kids to increase their self-esteem and heal from bullying and be able to address the bullies directly themselves using skills and role plays that we teach in our program. And then we have a follow-up one, two, and three months later to see, is this effective? Are kids holding on to the skills they're learning and their self-esteem is it's continuing to improve over time with support from parents as well. That sounds fantastic. It's definitely a a very needed 
service, you know, we, we focus on preventing bullying and we focus on that act, that event. And then I don't think very many parents really know what to do to support their kids after that, other than, you know, show compassion and empathy and love. Yes, that's a very good point you make, Penny. So from the empowerment space, I have one week called the three E's, which is empathy, empowerment, and engagement. And I wrote a book on it, how to help kids heal from bullying and how parents can talk to kids about bullying called the empowered child, which is how to help children cope, communicate and conquer bullying. And so I actually gave a roadmap to help parents really talk to their kids and their adolescents about bullying and what that really looks like, including sample dialogues and lists of things to ask the school to help them collaborate together. That's fantastic. Let's start with, I think, the key would be for parents to know exactly what sort of behaviors they might be seeing that would clue sure. them in that their child has been or is continuing to be a victim of bullying. Sure. So what I ask parents to look at is a pattern of behavior. A one-time event does not necessarily mean bullying. It doesn't mean it's okay. Any behavior ever, I don't condone. But in terms of really seeing if this is bullying, I want them to see over and over again, are there, is there any physical injuries that their kids are coming home with, whether their backpacks are torn or they've got any scratches on their face and they're seeing this over time? Are their kids showing signs of depression where they were really these outgoing kids who had all their friends over all the time and that, you, that was the hangout house and now your child's in their room, they're by themselves, they're depressed, they don't like school anymore. They used to really be good students and excited and involved in activities, and now they don't want to do anything at all. Um, and they're isolating again in their room. Their grade slipping is another big one I see in my program, is that when kids are very depressed and feel like they can't do anything about their bullying, their grades also can tend to decline on a pattern basis as well over time. And these are some of the important signs. Um, and also, if you don't see your child um, with their friends anymore, their best friends that you knew were their good friends, and now they're not coming over, they're not hanging out anymore, and your child is spending more time in their room. Again, if there's a pattern of these behaviors, you might want to talk about whether bullying is involved. So definitely a change of in behavior overall yeah. would be a good signal that something else is going on. Yes, absolutely. And a pattern of it when you're seeing a change and you can really ask open-ended questions as well. Hey, I noticed so-and-so isn't over anymore. Are you guys still hanging out? Again, more as a question. So that allows the child or the teenager to come back to you and say, well, and see what they have to say. Right. And that's another way I would kind of find out what might be going on. And you and I were talking just before we started the interview that um, kids with ADHD and um, other yes. learning disabilities and differences are often or um, more often the target of bullying than neurotypical kids. And yes. so, you know, I think parents have a, a pretty good amount of experience with that. But what I find a lot of parents saying is that they go to the school and they tell them that it's a problem and not much of anything happens or they end up blaming the student, the child for mm -hmm. having yeah. behavior differences or calling attention to themselves or, you know, ADHD behaviors can certainly be used um, in that environment as excuses for why mm -hmm. kids would pick on them. And, and of course, that's a very inappropriate approach for educators to take. But, you know, this is the reality of what a lot of parents with kids with ADHD are going through. So what um, advice would you give them and how to really work with the school and make sure that changes happen? I think in that environment as well is really important. Yes, I absolutely agree. And you are right, Penny. It, uh, kids with disabilities and autism have a 60% chance of 
being reported as being bullied versus kids who do not have any disabilities. And that's more like 25% without disabilities. So 60% is a really huge number. Yeah. And so what yeah. I would suggest for parents to do when they're trying to work with the school and how they approach the school is I would really go in and talk very collaboratively about the concerns. Um, and I would try to see, depending on the age of your child, what they think they want to do in terms of if they're being bullied because of their disability or how they look or act. Um, I would really want to help them with what they feel comfortable. I would practice some role plays at home with them. Um, I would collaborate with the permission of your child with the school and see how they can talk to the teachers. Sometimes there's more than one teacher and you go through different classrooms every day. Mm -hmm. So you want to see what teachers or one in particular can really help support your child during the day and can observe and, and can get in there and help. But one of the things that I talk a lot about in my book is about empathy, empowerment, and engagement. And how I would first address it is with your child directly before going to the school. And I would ask them, I'm wondering how you're feeling with empathy. I'm wondering if you're feeling upset right now that you're being teased because you are having, you know, you have ADHD or you're, you know, something's going on in the classroom and they're teasing you. And how would you like to handle things? And I think with empathy, you really want to get at their feelings first, because before you even approach the school, it's very important that you find out how your child's feeling about the whole situation. That's really key first. And then once you do, you can do what's called empowerment, which is empowering your kid to come up with a plan of action. And that may include going to the school together to talk to the principal or having one of their favorite teachers who they feel they align with a lot. Because we all remember in school, like a teacher that we felt more comfortable with, especially if we had like six periods a day of school, is there one teacher that shows more compassion or that they click better with? And what does that look like? And let's come up with a plan. It's part of the plan of action that we will go in together to talk to the principal. We'll talk to the teacher. Do we want to practice role plays together? And you let them come up with a plan of action. And they may say the older they are, I can handle it myself. And that's when it's really important that as the parent, you give them the latitude to come up with an idea of how to handle things, a plan, but that you're there with them checking in and letting them know you're not going to just let them handle it themselves because it's gotten to a point that's really upsetting. And so then the final part would be the engagement, which is the follow up to the plan. And I encourage consistency in this, whether it's every night at a more settling time in the evening, but really talking about, is this working? Do we need to go back and talk to the school? When we are talking to the school, I think it's more powerful if your child is there as well because I think they can speak for themselves and what they're experiencing best to the principal and the teachers, mm-hmm. not just the parents. And I would really encourage maybe some practice and role play before going in and speaking to the teachers or the principal about how they want the meeting to go and what that's going to look like. And it's very powerful for kids to be part of that because then they feel their voice is now being heard. Right. That's validating their feelings. And exactly. I think it also puts a face to the conversation, you know, it brings in that really human element that makes it very real for the educators and administration that you're having this conversation with. You know, I think a lot of times we find that we can be very dismissed as parents in Mm -hmm. reporting things to school or asking for specific accommodations and supports at school for special needs. And so I think, you know, it's always better to put a face with the problem and make it very real um, for those people. And um, I wanted to say, too, you were talking about involving your child, and that's something that we talk a lot about with ADHD is really a collaborative problem-solving approach is the best parenting approach for Mm -hmm. kids with ADHD and even high-functioning autism. And so, um, you know, what you're teaching in this approach to handle bullying, it fits right in line with that and that you know, we're asking our children, what is bothering you? What is happening? And how can I help you? And listening to their concerns and their input and working together. And, and by doing that, we're, we're only um, enriching their problem solving skills as well. 
Yes, I agree. And we want to, because as we all know in life, even with disabilities and high functioning autism, life is hard and we have to learn how to handle our own conflicts and problems. Exactly. Because if we don't now and we don't teach our children this, then when are they going to learn it? And I, I kind of use the idea of, you know, it's like getting a job, right? Where we don't always like the people we work with or we feel as comfortable with them, but we have to still work to make money, right? Mm-hmm. So we have social skills and skills to just adjust and problem solving skills so we can feel powerful and we know that our voice is important. And if we teach that younger to kids, I'm hoping that they will keep that with them into their young adult years or in their older adult years. Mm-hmm. And it's teaching self-advocacy skills as yeah. well. So, yes. you know, it's empowering them to take charge for themselves and and to work out um, a solution rather, you know, a lot of kids with um, anxiety, their inclination is to flee or avoid. Um, my right. son in particular is a master avoider. Um, and just by perceived, you know, what might happen, say at school, you know, he's had a lot of school avoidance over the years. And Mm -hmm. it's anxiety about what um, could happen, or if something uncomfortable might happen again, and not necessarily bullying, um, because of his depth of of anxiety, but you know the same thing can be said for bullying. You know, if a child starts avoiding school a lot, there's a reason why. There's a That's reason right. why your child is suddenly avoiding things that they may not have before, and and. That's right. and you know, so that's really important to be able to identify what's happening and, and to get them to talk to you, you know, instead of saying, I'm sorry, but the rule is you go to school, you say, you know, I see that going to school is really become very hard for you. Can you tell me what's going on? That's right. That's a really good point that you make, Penny, because you want to ask them how they feel. A lot of times what I see is parents want to help so much that they tell them how they need to feel and what they need to do. They're just, they care and they're worried. They're coming from a really good place. But what happens is that tends to shut the conversation down because then they're being told how to feel and what to say and do. And that's not necessarily what they want. So we have to use that empathy, empowerment and engagement steps to really get at what's going on and how to handle the problem, whether it's specific to bullying or not, we want to ask them and we want to come at them at a time when we can really talk to them. Because as parents, everyone gets busy, everyone has stressful days and triggers and other children to attend to at times. And we want to make sure when we have these kind of dialogues and want to know what's going on to help our children, as particularly even if it's around bullying or another issue, we want to make sure that parents feel like they're in a good place. Does that make sense? Yes, they feel yes. Like they can really talk about things. That they're calm, that they're able yes. to focus and really listen yes. and kind of give their undivided attention. Absolutely. Um, you know, that it's not necessarily the right time to talk to your child when they run in the door from school crying and screaming and yes. saying they're never going back. You know, you have yes. to kind of get through those emotions first. And then you can have a really good conversation. And something we talk about a lot is that stress and anxiety kind of cause cognitive fog and they cause us to really our skills in problem solving and focusing are diminished in those times. So we're going to be less successful with those conversations if we're trying to have them in the heat of the moment. I agree. And that's for both you, right? The child as well as the parent. And I Mm -hmm. really want parents to take care of themselves, especially around the topic of bullying. I want to just put that out there because it's a really hard topic to discuss. It's upsetting. Parents really just want to take care of the problem and they don't want their kids suffering, which I completely understand. And unfortunately, it won't change overnight. And we have to really use an empathy, empowerment, and engagement type of approach and really support our kids. And I guarantee you they're going to feel, if nothing else, more supported in that approach and really helping them. But also parents need to take time to help themselves and take time to really do self-care also, especially when the bullying is going on because they're seeing their child in pain. And there's nothing worse, I think, for a parent than not being able to take the pain away 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that we talk more about to you in the ADHD autism communities as parent yeah. self-care, because it is really stressful. It's much more stressful to have a child with disabilities. And then, yeah. you know, you add on the stress of something like watching your child struggle and maybe being bullied. And, um, you know, it can be debilitating for parents, too, because all we really want to do is fix it. I mean, that's, that's right. you know, that's parenting 101 we just want to fix everything and and we can't always do that but we can certainly help our kids through things and I think you know the the biggest win for me in um, your approach and what you're talking about is the empowerment piece because that's Mm -hmm. what's really going to craft success later on even outside of a situation where they're being bullied, you know, that um, just learning that skill throughout their childhood is going to be a major factor in their success later as well. I believe that. And I, and I have a saying that I learned when I was in eighth grade from an English teacher, and that is that knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And the more knowledge we have, the more power we have to make change happen. And so I really want to empower families to teach that to children as well. Kids have more control than they know and feel they do. They have to just look at situations differently and have support around how to handle situations. But I really believe kids want to handle situations themselves and they don't want parents rescuing them and that does not work and studies have shown that kids are going to be more victimized once they've told their parents and the parents go in and try to handle the problem with the other parent and the bully um, they end up getting bullied worse the victims and that's what they're so afraid of you know that's why I think that's why they don't talk to us a lot of the times that they are being bullied because they are afraid that we're just going to march into the school and start yelling at people and it's only going to get worse Um, and so you know that's where this really tailored approach that's so sensitive to that is really powerful Can you give parents some tips about um, working with the school once they've recognized that their child's being bullied, their child has opened up about it and says, yes, I want your help to um, go to school and talk about this. What are some things that parents really need to be mindful of? So what they need to be mindful of, like in my program, I do three meetings with the school. And so the first meeting is a collaborative one, of course, where we say, hello, how are you? And we talk, but we need to know what our agenda is going into the first meeting. So once we call the principal and we set the meeting, we want to know what we want to talk about. So as the parent, they want to be prepared for how they want to come off and talk about issues such as the bullying, how, what they want to achieve from the meeting. When they go to that first meeting with the school, once that is established, they want to ask for their policy on bullying. I really want parents, or it can be maybe emailed ahead of time so the parents know what the school's policy is, because usually every school now has a policy on bullying. If right. not, right. there should definitely be one on harassment, because that will give the parent going into the meeting, if they can get it before the first school meeting, they can get that information to know how the school would handle the bullying. What does that look like in the contract? What kinds of ways do they hold kids accountable? Some schools have certain prevention programs that they work with and they work in the school with them and some really work well with the bullies and the victims. And so it'd be nice to know if they subscribe to a certain program that they're using in their school. Is there a prevention program that they're using that seems to be effective? And usually parents will get notices if they're going to be using a program in their school for that coming year. But I would really want to know about the policy. And if the parents have any questions, make sure they have those questions ready to ask at that meeting and then use their particular situation. Let's say for an example, their child is being uh, verbally teased at school and they are being called names all the time and they go to a particular classroom and these kids are constantly calling them names. And even if the teacher is stopping it continues. Does that make sense? And it's not going away. Right. The kid no longer wants to go to this classroom because they're being verbally bullied horribly. And so then they have to really talk about in this particular situation, how are we going to handle it? You know, how can we handle this particular class without my child looking like they told on the the kids and then that my child's going to be victimized worse? What can we do in this situation? Can we bring the teacher in to talk to them to see how we might be able to help him or her better with educating them on how to help 
our child and my particular kid and what works for my kid with the bullying in that classroom. And right. so you want to do that and be very clear once you've read your, the policy and how the school handles bullying, then you want to use your particular situation. And I would encourage that particular teacher, if there's one room it's happening and sometimes bullying is happening in classrooms, sometimes it's happening on the schoolyard, sometimes it's happening on the bus, sometimes it's happening in their physical education classes, or unfortunately can be online. Right. Because mm-hmm. we have the cyberbullying as well. Right. So right. it's really important that we use our particular type of bullying. And like the example I just gave, verbal bullying and how we're, they're going to handle it and how we can work collaboratively with the school. And then follow up will be the next part after they leave that meeting. They want to have a follow up right away. Like, can we talk within the next week to see how our ideas work, you know, with right. what we're going to have? my child try what the teacher will do, how the teacher may intervene differently. Can we talk within the next week? Usually with schools, they are very busy depending on how many, if it's a private or a public or a charter school, but usually within a week, uh, they can get back in touch, whether it's the dean of the school or the vice principal of the school or the principal within a week, they can make contact again easily. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And something that you said that I wanted to touch on was how to approach it so that the bully doesn't know that they're being called out. And I know in the past when my son was in elementary school, we had some issues and I spoke to the guidance counselor about it and she decided to do a classroom um, series on bullying in his class um, so that no one was called out, but that that the issue was being addressed, that they were being given the knowledge to change their behavior. Um, And so I thought that was a pretty good idea as a starting point. And and they were really young and at the time, and I think it did help, um, you know, the, the guidance counselor would come in once a week in each classroom to do some sort of lesson, social or community. Um, and so she was touching on it some in that, but not in as an intensive like this was. So they added this intensive to the classroom and, and the student who was bullying never knew that he had said anything to anyone. You know, they just thought they were getting this lesson. That was well done. Well done. Because what we're finding is the best way to approach bullies and bystanders, because bystanders can be either negative or positive. They can go along with the bully and tease in a negative way, or they can be positive and stand up to the bully. They're one of the most interesting groups that we study when we talk about bullying. But a way to really encourage that group is positively through positive role modeling, positive steps. And that's where we're seeing the most results in programs is that we really want to positively encourage the bullies to be good role models instead of negative role models. And one way we kind of divert that right away is not making the bullies or the bystanders who might be going with along with the bully that in a negative way that they're in trouble because that usually seems to be the first thing they worry about is that they're going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so we want to take that away right away. And I love what your son's teacher did and just bringing more awareness to the whole classroom because then no one was in trouble, right? Everybody able to collectively learn together in a positive way to empower them to be better about it and made more aware and the bully wasn't made to feel they're in trouble. And that's what happens. It ends up setting the bully up to be worse to the victim if they're made to feel they're in trouble instead of turning them into a positive role model. Mm-hmm. And would you say, you know, I've noticed that at least sometimes when my son has been picked on that the student who is doing that often has some struggles or learning challenges or behavioral challenges of their own. Um, and so, you know, I've had the conversation with him before about everybody having their challenges. And sometimes that's the reason that, um, bullies are picking on someone else because they're trying to deflect away from themselves and and negative attention on themselves. Do you think that that's a pretty common problem? And do you feel like that's an appropriate conversation to have with our kids when they're bullied? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think definitely that we can look at a way to be empathic towards the bully themselves and what might be going on for the bully. They could have uh, differences that make them uncomfortable about themselves. There might be role modeling around them in their home about how to act and behave, that that's where they're learning it from. It's very Mm -hmm. possible. And there's also possibilities that kids who bully don't like other kids who are different. So someone who has a disability of some sort that looks or, you know, approaches them differently or is different in presentation in the class, they don't like differences. They want to pick on kids who are different. You and I as adults probably like people in our lives who are very different. We don't want people that are just like us as our friends, people that we choose to be around. But kids aren't like that. They don't always embrace difference as well. And so that's a way that they decide to pick on certain kids if something is different about them, like a disability of some sort. Right. And so after you have the conversations with the school, um, parents feel like it's being addressed, um, then what do they do at home for and with their kids to help them work through the hurt and the emotions that come from being the victim of bullying? That's a great question, Penny. So what kids can do with their parents at home to continue to work on bullying and the issues going on is really through that empathy, empowerment, and engagement. So if we take the example again of their child being verbally bullied at school in a particular class, let's just say, then we really talk about asking them how they're feeling, continuing to check in with them and hoping that they're going to be more open to tell you how they're feeling because you're asking it as I'm wondering if you're feeling this and let them tell you. And then asking, how is our plan working of empowerment, which is the second step? Are you feeling that by doing this kind of ignoring changing your seat in the class, that you're not around those kids anymore who are constantly teasing you in this class? Is that helping you? And if, if not, do you want to practice using role plays right now, what you can do differently in the class or something else? We can come up with a plan of action that would be better for you since they may still be teasing you. And then you're hoping that your kid will be willing to work with you again with the specific problem in mind. And I'm just using the verbal bullying in a classroom as one example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you want to follow up with the plan of the engagement did it work? Did our change in the plan work? Are you now moving to a different seat? Are those kids no longer sitting near you? You're not being teased anymore. How are you feeling? Do we need to even do things differently? That's, and I would really be following up and practice, 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 because nothing's going to change overnight or things may get better for a while. And then they start again. That's the unfortunate piece of bullying is it can stop for a while, but then it can start again. And so we really want to continue to have check-ins at a good time in the evening where you're right, Penny, not when they're just coming home from school and they're hysterical and something terrible just happened to them, or you're coming home and you're tired from your day or something happened, but you want to find a good time in the evening where you're both in a more relaxed place to continue to practice and talk about this because it could be a continuous issue. And then they just have to know that you're going to figure it out. They're going to solve this and it's going to get better with the skills. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would your advice be for um, situations where the school or the environment where they're being bullied is really um, kind of calling out the victim? And what I mean by that is like, um, say that a child is being bullied on the playground and the teacher's you know, don't interact with the kids on the playground. They're sitting over on a bench on the side of the playground, say monitoring. And so, you know, my first inclination, and this is something that I've done with my son when he was little, um, was, you know, you should go sit by the teacher. You'll be protected there because what else would we do in that situation, you know? And so I think that schools do that as well. They want, you know, to move the victim out of the situation or out of that class or, and then it, it tends to draw more attention to the one who's being bullied and it feels like a punishment to them when they really didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I think that's what happens a lot in school sometimes is I think there's a lack either of education or understanding dynamics. And so with other kids and what happens is 
if the victim somehow causes attention to them, they either get end up being the ones in trouble because they've had enough and they finally say something or do something different. Mm -hmm. And then they get attention caused to them and get in trouble for standing up or the way that they choose to. And sometimes the the, the schools really do push the victim to do more to change. Like they're the problem versus the kids that are actually causing the problem. So it's a really tricky situation because you want to be careful as educators that we don't alienate our victims, right. you know, by making them feel worse. So we really have to approach them very carefully and openly to wanting to support them and come up with a plan that they feel comfortable with where they're not made to feel bad because they're being bullied. And so that may look like having a program in the school that really works on addressing bullying as a whole to really address the problem and perhaps really helping to ask the victim how they think they can be supported by the school. You know, sometimes I don't think we ask kids what they think would be helpful. And a lot of times kids are really smart and know what could work. Yep. And what could work for them. You know, I talk a lot about asking your kids when they're struggling, how can I help you? Because we don't ask our kids enough. And we think when they're younger that they're not really going to have any valid insights or be able to communicate things. And that really isn't true. You know, when I started implementing that myself, I was really surprised at how often, you know, my son's answers were rational and um, thoughtful and could be very um, helpful. So, you know, and it, and it, again, it's showing empathy, it's validating their feelings. Um, You know, just asking how I can help you shows you that I know you need help, that I know you're struggling. Um, So that's so impactful. And I think I I talk about this a lot. Parents do not ask their kids for their input enough. Um, We just kind of dismiss it. And, you know, I think that we're taught to parent in that way. You know, that's kind of the norm that we grew up with when we were kids and so forth. But um, we can always be the change in that um, in that pattern for sure. Um, and I want to say too, I don't want educators and administration, anybody else who might be listening to think that we're just bashing the schools or teachers. You know, I, my son, um, was bullied the first week of school last year on the school bus. He stood up to the bully because the boy was picking on the younger kids on the bus and, um, they ended up getting into it because, you know, of course, he then deflected his mean attention on my son for trying to stand up for these other kids. And um, so when they got off the bus, the the boy said that he was going to um, fight my son, who would never do that. But he did um, just swing at the boy, uh, kind of a gesture of get away from me and you're wrong and you know and um then of course he got beat up and he didn't defend himself but the school was very good about understanding that how he got in that situation was that he was trying to defend others and that he was coming from a place of good intention um you know he did get in some trouble because he did swing first and he should you know but um the other child got in much more trouble um And because it happened at the bus stop, I don't think a lot of parents realize that when your kids get off the bus, it's still the school's responsibility until they walk away from that place. Um, And the the bus has cameras on it. And so they were able to validate um, what happened. But, you know, I felt really grateful that they were compassionate and understanding in that situation. And, and they were very vocal with him to praise him for standing up for others. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we run into all different scenarios um, in the education system, but there are good folks and good intentions out there too. And I think a lot of it just is really not knowing how to help, not knowing how to address the situation all the time. It's not that they don't care that our kids are bullied. Exactly. 
I agree with that. I, I really believe that educators do care and many of them do. And I just think they don't always know. And it's okay. I think for people not to always know, but I think to ask and come up with a plan of action and really help the kids and follow through shows so much because what I really believe with kids is that they don't care about, you know, as much how many times maybe they're getting yelled at, not that they don't care, but it's how mom and dad or the school correct that experience for them, how they back to them, how they go back and make it better. That's what they're really paying attention to is how we solve the problem and how we change what happens. So if our educators are even able to do that kind of empathy, and I've seen it many times when I've been in school meetings, and when I give that feedback and I use the voice of my client, if my client has already tried themselves, they are really open. They don't want kids to be bullied. They don't want kids to be hurt. It's never their intention. And I do know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to add that because I know, um, not just in, in this topic specifically, but I do recognize that teachers often feel kind of attacked in many situations and they certainly have a lot of responsibility and very little help. And so I just wanted to be sure to, say that out loud, that we, we know that their intentions are good. And um, sometimes, or often, probably, the right thing is done um, to be really helpful. And, and that situation that we went through was very traumatic and took weeks for my son to really feel secure at school again. Of course, he has not ridden the bus since. Um, And fortunately, that child did move out of our neighborhood a couple of months ago. But um, you know, it it took him a long time. And I think our kids with ADHD and high functioning autism are often much more sensitive, and they hang on to things a lot longer. And so, you know, I love your approach that you continue long term with checking in and seeing how things are going and making sure that the plan worked. And, you know, one thing we use to conquer anxiety is to sit down and write a plan. Okay, what's your worry? If that happens, here's what you can do. And we get the other folks involved on the other side. And I say, you know, my son is going to come to you if he's feeling worried and overwhelmed in the middle of class. He's going to come to your classroom and they validate for him. Yes, you know, this is a safe place. He can come here if he needs to. And I think, you know, setting up the same sort of plans with our kids ahead of time and then um, with everyone involved is really important because it shows them that there's lots of people who care about what's happening and supporting them. That's right. And it's really important that kids see that and know that that's absolutely there for them. And a lot of times I think educators want to work collaboratively with parents and it's, it's, it can be a really good thing. And what I find in a lot of teachers is they'll say to me for my program, what are some of your, um, buzzwords that you use? Cause maybe I can use some of those with the, my kids in the classroom. And maybe if there's some words that parents use at home, when they talk about a plan of action or something about positive coping skills or positive self-talk, and they're saying positive things to themselves, maybe that's something the teachers can actually incorporate when they're also dealing with your child. Absolutely. And so I've Teachers asked me that before, and I'm so impressed by them when they want to know that and they want to use some of those same words that we talk about in my program. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is. The more support that you get, the better. Um, And I think, you know, the more educators that you're educating with your program, the more keyed in they are to really noticing these situations before they get out of hand, too. you know, they can see that behavior in their students and recognize it and kind of wave the flag and try to work on it before it gets really out of hand sometimes as well. Absolutely. I really agree about that as well. You know, one of the other things that I see that happens when we talk about school avoidance sometimes is that with kids who have been bullied and I think kids who are just don't feel comfortable in their schools is that 
they tend to want to be homeschooled. There also becomes Mm -hmm. that issue of homeschool and do we homeschool our kids, especially when it comes to bullying. And what I tell a lot of families and teachers and educators when I speak at conferences and presentations that I do is that there's no right or wrong answer to that, but it's how well your child will adapt and being in their school environment and how well you can work collaboratively with the educators. And, um, you know, I have some parents will call me saying, my kid won't go back to the school again and I can't physically move them and push them to school every day. What do I do? And it's really important that we as parents, then we have to identify another school. You know, we really work with our kids to get ready to go back into that school environment again, whether they have a program like the empowerment space or a therapist who's well-versed on bullying. And we really practice the skills. So they're ready to go back to that next environment because I really do encourage that even if kids are avoiding school for a while, we want to get them back into an educated environment because it's like I said, with a job, you know, we don't always get to pick and choose who we want to work with in a job, but we have to be there and learn how to cope. And so the same becomes of our kids. That's what I talk about with homeschooling. You know, that's my personal yeah. perspective on homeschooling is that they're not necessarily learning the skills to cope with everyone else. And they can't just be at home all their life. And, you know, a lot of homeschool families are really good about a lot of social activities and classes and things like that. And that's a way to make homeschooling work for that and address that issue. But I do think that it's really important that our kids learn how to address something and work through it instead of always trying to avoid. And school avoidance has been a huge issue for us in the past few years. And um, one thing that I realized early on was there was something happening at school on those days. There was something going on that he either wasn't able to communicate, he hadn't put his finger on it, he didn't want to share it, Um but the more we could figure out what was happening that was upsetting him, then the more willing he was to go to school because we would make a plan and then uh-huh. we would go to school with our plan. And then, you know, somebody was listening to him and somebody was addressing his need. Um, and, you know, school is a very stressful place for a lot of kids, especially kids who are bullied. Um, there's a great book by Jerome Schultz called Nowhere to Hide. It is one of the only books that I found on school avo- avoidance and um, kind of that really big stress factor that our kids go through with school. Um, And some of the parents here listening to this podcast episode might be interested in reading that book, because if your child has been bullied, then they are under a whole lot more stress Mm -hmm. when they're going to school. And I think it's really, really important for us as parents to really understand what that does to them physically, emotionally, mentally, cognitively. So um, I would encourage the parents to read that book and really get a good handle on what it's like. You know, I certainly was bullied as a kid, and I'm sure a lot of Mm -hmm. other parents were, um, but some weren't. And being bullied today is probably... Um, a lot different in many respects than it was when I was a kid and my fellow parents were young. So um, mm-hmm. it's really important to, I think, dig in to recognize and understand exactly what our kids' experiences are in these situations as much as we can. I think that's a great point, Penny, because I really think if we don't understand their experiences and the bullying goes on and on, even as young adults, I will see people in my practice and they're still struggling and stuck back to where the bullying was happening and emotionally cannot move on in their mm-hmm. lives with their intimate relationships or their professional relationships or their professions. They really feel those same feelings that they did as kids. And that's why I'm so glad my book has come out as of tomorrow on Amazon because it really does give parents an approach so they don't have to feel powerless. So their kids don't grow up having to just say they were bullied as a kid and there was no clear resolution to it of feeling better about themselves. And that's what I don't want to see happen to families. And why I wrote the book is because I want them to feel they have skills, a roadmap to use. And again, every family is different, but it's sort of an overall idea of what you can do and you 
get more specific to your child, I do provide the sample dialogues in there to help with that. But again, every child is different, but it's just yeah. to give a roadmap. So there's at least a start to the conversation and how to open it. So our kids can feel safe and that we can heal them from bullying. Is and the then the parents are empowered as well. Yes. yes. You know, when they have a roadmap, when they have a guide of how yes. to help their child, then yeah. the parent is empowered too. And that's, I think that's what it's all about. For those of us who work with parents and train parents in different regards um, and therapists and so forth, I think that's one of the big goals is to empower the parent to make change because then they feel effective and, and are able to um, be confident in their parenting. So I think it's really effective in that manner too to empower not just the child, but the parents. And self-care is so important. I know we spoke about this penny a little earlier, but self-care for parents, I really read a lot about that in my book, the importance of that and how to take self-care because kids want to see that also. They want to see that parents are also taking care of themselves because one of the reasons they don't want to come to parents about bullying is they don't want to worry them. They don't want to hurt them. They don't want them to feel responsible and they don't Mm -hmm. want them to feel they have to take care of it because they worry about their parents. So I think if parents are also doing good self-care and the kids are seeing this, that's really important and impactful as well. Yep. It's modeling what we want our kids to do for themselves when they're adults. That's right. So they learn by watching us for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else we're running out of time? Was there anything else that you wanted to be sure that we talk about or to add to the conversation? I will definitely um, have all of your contact information and a link to your book um, in the show notes as well. Um, Thank you so much. I just, again, want to just encourage parents to know that there is hope out there and their kids don't have to continue to be bullied. And I really do feel the empowered child is a great resource and can help parents really help their children heal from bullying and come from a helpless place to a more hopeful place. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I know that your message is going to help a lot of families and your book is certainly going to be a great guide for them to really be more effective for their kids when they're in that situation than I think most of us know how to be. So really fantastic resource. And I'm so glad that you were here. Thank you for having me, Penny. You are welcome. This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams.